This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 201st episode of Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Am I getting parenting right? Most parents at any and every stage find themselves asking this question. To explore this, I invited Sandra Stanley to be my guest. Moms, you are going to love this episode. Sandra Stanley received her Bachelor of Science degree from Georgia Tech and Master of Arts from Dallas Theological Seminary. Sandra has a heart for foster kids and foster families, as she and Andy have been foster parents since 2010. Her ministry passion is promoting foster care in the local church. Much of her time these days is spent working on various writing projects and continuing her involvement with Fostering Together, the Foster Care Initiative at North Point Ministries. Sandra and her husband, Andy Stanley, just published their new book, Parenting, Getting It Right, which we dive into today. Their it, their North Star, which we talk a lot about in this show, is parenting with the relationship in mind, and I couldn't agree more. So welcome, Sandra Stanley. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So the first question I ask my guests is, if you're a mom, and if so, what are their ages? I am. So let's see. Andrew is 30, Garrett is 28, and Allie is 27. So I had them all really, really close together, which was a little bit challenging in the beginning, but actually ended up being a a good thing. So... Oh, that's great. Yeah, we talked about a little bit before is how my daughter and it's your daughter. Right. Yes, my only girl. Yes. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. So you season of life. Oh my gosh, such a sweet season. So you have a new book out. And so maybe you can tell the moms listening, what's the name of the book? And why did you write this book? 
Yeah. Well, first of all, it's kind of scary writing a book on parenting because it seems to scream, hey, look at us. We're the greatest parents ever. Do what we did. You know, you're guaranteed to have perfect kids. And we all know that's not realistic. It's not even close to true. Andy and I were not perfect parents and we did not (laughs) and do not have perfect children. So I always like to put that out there first. But that was kind of the point for us because our goal has never been to have perfectly behaved, you know, little soldier children. Our goal was to parent our kids in such a way that they would have great relationships with us and with each other on the other side of the parenting journey. So we titled the book Parenting, you know, super creative because we're, you know, really creative. And then the subtitle is Getting It Right. And really the book is about choosing your it. And you know, we the reason we decided to write this book now is that all of our kids are in their 20s, like I mentioned earlier, or Andrew's 30, and we like them. And even more amazing, they like us and they like each other. So there were just some principles of parenting that we stumbled you know, on along the way that we feel like made a really big difference and contributed to our it which is having children that grow up and want to be together, want to be with you, want to be with each other, even when they don't have to be anymore. So that was kind of our bullseye on the target. And that's kind of what we focused the book on. Yes. No, that is great. I totally can feel what you're saying because I've written two books on parenting and I wrote them like, like, so dial down the drama I wrote when my daughter was a teenager uh-huh. And then I wrote Doll Up the Dream when my daughter was in those kind of emerging young adult years. And so I thought yes. it was crazy because it's sometimes messy and I'm stumbling forward. But then I thought, you know, this is why moms can relate is because it's just real. It is. And I love that your book is the same way. Yes. Well, I love that your title, Dial Down the Drama, because it is so funny, especially with girls. When yes. they hit that 12, 13, 14, I don't know. It's like the drama dial shoots up, you know, off the chart. So <laughs> that's a great title. Oh, my gosh. It's so true. Yeah. Yep. So you you talked about this, but we're, I want you to kind of go more into it. And so what is, quote, it, and how do parents define and find their, quote, it, and what's the danger of not finding their, quote, it? And so, especially comparing that to what possible, quote, it's there are mm-hmm. out there. Yeah, right. Well, let me start by explaining kind of where the idea originated and why it became so important for us. Every year since my brother and sister and I were really young, I'm the middle of three kids, and we're close together in age two. But every year, my parents rent a big house on Hilton Head Island, and our whole family goes there for a week. And Andrew, our oldest, was the first grandchild. So when he was a baby, Andy and I were making our trek to Hilton Head. Andrew's in the back in the in this little car seat, and we started talking about goals. We thought, you know, maybe now that we have a child, we should think about some goals, you know, some family goals, some parenting goals. But we sort of laughed and said, you know, neither one of us are concrete goal setters necessarily. So that was a short conversation. But we talked about what kind of family we wanted to have. And that led us to realize that in our parenting journey, we never wanted to take our eyes off the relational prize. And one of the things that Andy witnessed about my family was that we all loved being together. And we all looked forward to that week in Hilton Head. We all looked for opportunities to be together at other times. And that just struck him as not odd, but something that was valuable. And to me, it was all I ever knew. So I, you know, I just thought, you know, this is how parenting, I mean, you know, this is how families are. And, and Andy, you know, we, at that time we had, we had been married a few years. So we had been in student ministry together and had seen all kinds of different things, but he really had seen all kinds of different family dynamics. And he said, that's the kind of family I want. So we began to realize, you know, we want kids who want to be with us and want to be with each other, even when they no longer have to be, which led us to the idea of parenting with the relationship in mind and letting our it or the thing that we focus on, kind of our bullseye on the target, be relational with our kids and parenting in a direction. And to your question, there are all kinds of directions that people might parent in. There's an obedience direction. There can be, you know, an 
professional sports direction. You know, you, you want your child to be in the NFL one day or, or the MLB one day, or, or maybe it's just a peace direction, or maybe it's a reputation preservation direction. You know, we want our kids to represent us well. There are all kinds of directions that we can parent in. But we decided to decide ahead of time our direction because we knew that whatever direction we choose is the way we're going to parent. And if we don't choose a direction, we're just going to kind of fly by the seat of our pants and live from one day to the other and not necessarily end up where we want to be. One of the things that Andy says often is direction determines destination. So we wanted to choose our direction and our destination ahead of time and kind of parent on purpose in that direction. So that was our it, our relational it, wanting kids who want to be with us and want to be with each other, even when they don't have to be anymore. Mm, I love that. I think a huge it in this culture that I think a lot of us aren't even aware of is the productivity it. Like I want my kids to be- You can look at family calendars and see that that is so true, right? (laughs) Or I want my kids to be successful it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and so- Whatever that takes, yep. Chasing the grades. Yes, that's exactly right. And it's so easy to fall into that. It really is because we do want our kids to be successful and we do want our kids to have great opportunities. And so it's so easy to default to that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, at the end of the day, though, we can have super successful kids who don't necessarily want to come home at, you know, or have an ongoing adult relationship with us. And so that just wasn't that wasn't what we were after. That's so true. Okay, so in your book, you emphasize parenting with the relationships in mind. Mm-hmm. And we talked a little bit about that, but yep. you also say that it can inform every major and minor decision you make as a parent. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah. So because we had decided ahead of time to parent with the relationship in mind, we knew what our win was. We knew what our North Star was. So decision-making actually became a little more streamlined. Opportunities would come our way or activity options would come our way or come, you know, in the way of our kids. And and we just begin to simply ask the question, is this good for our relationship? Is saying yes to this opportunity, is saying yes to this activity, is it good for our relationship? And since we knew that was the direction we were parenting in ahead of time, it really became a lens for us through some of those tricky parenting decisions because it became a little easier to figure out. And it doesn't mean that we did not have busy seasons of life. Our kids played sports, they had school activities. We had, you know, all the things going on, but we did step back occasionally and and think about the fact, okay, is this decision going to move us in the direction of relational health or is it going to move us away from the direction, you know, from, from relational health? And so it really did become a litmus test or a lens, so to speak, for making some of those more difficult family decisions. And it began to inform some of the, you know, some of the decisions that we made. We did not always get it right. There were seasons where we realized, okay, we're in all of these things, and this is going to be a tension that we manage for a number of months, not necessarily a problem to solve right now, but a tension we need to manage. And so we would figure it out, but then we would, you know, kind of regroup, step back, look at the next season coming up, you know, and and then make some decisions accordingly. But when we're parenting with a specific destination in mind, it just begins to bring clarity to some of the difficult decisions we have to make as a family. I love that. And I can see how helpful that can be with parents co-parenting and being on the same page. Because as a marriage and family therapist, what I see often is that the parents kind of are split and there's like kind of the good parent and then the mean parent or that's how they get labeled by the kids. So if you're so clear about the destination, then that really helps y'all stay on the same page. That is such a great point. It really does. Because there were times that I would move off in a different direction or that Andy would, and it would just be a matter of having this conversation of we are parenting with our future relationships with our kids in mind. So what does that mean for this decision? And usually one or the other of us would go, oh, okay, you're right. Press the reset button. You know, it really did help keep us on the same page about most things. That is a whole nother healthy thing in a family, parents being on the same page. So it certainly helped with that. Mm, Yes. So I loved that you talked about this, but so how does the law of the harvest apply to parenting? 
Oh, you know, yes, we do talk about that in the book. Your relationship with your children is determined by the law of the harvest, not the last minute urgency of a final exam. You know, if we look at farming and cramming for an exam, you you know, you can procrastinate and cram for an exam and you can still do okay. But farmers do not have that luxury. You can't cram for a crop. You have to plan for a crop. And in the book, I talk a little bit about my grandfather. I grew up in middle Georgia and my grandfather was a farmer. And I would watch him, you know, he'd be standing on the back porch, staring up at the sky, you know, kind of trying to figure out weather stuff. He had his almanac. He had all of his tools, all of his things to figure out what is going to be the best way to get the optimal crop this season with this particular crop. And so we kind of laughed and said, parenting is so much like that. If we plan for the outcome, we hope to reach one day. It's a little bit like a farmer in his crop. And there are certainly plenty of variables. You know this because you're a counselor. There are so many variables outside of our control in parenting, and that is just real life. But sitting where Andy and I sit now and looking back on our parenting journey with our kids, we've realized that if you don't have a good relationship with your kids once they reach their 20s, it's a little, you know, it's really hard to get there. It's not impossible, but it's much harder than if you were in. Intentional in those earlier seasons when you were, you know, planting and sowing and watering and, you know, all the things in the, in parenting. So just like ignoring a crop, not being intentional with the process doesn't produce what the farmer hopes for at harvest time and not planning ahead and paying attention to the process of parenting might yield an outcome that is, you know, likely not what we hoped for either. So that's what we meant when we were talking about the law of the harvest applying to parenting. There's some good parallels there. Yes, that's so powerful. So a couple things about that is I love it because a lot of parents think, well, it's supposed to be really, really hard when the kids are teenagers and in the home and they don't have to like me. They don't have to love me. You know, they'll thank me later. You know, Mm -hmm. they're going to get into a good college and they assume the relationship will naturally become great. Mm -hmm. And I have found that's not true because then I see a lot of parents who are estranged from their adult Mm -hmm. daughters or sons and want to know what they can do. Now, it's not impossible. Right. But, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about this because I love this. The sewing feels like it's something consistent that you do every day. What I like to tell my parents is to think about at least 20 minutes a day that you're up to nothing, but just being present with your kid. Like Mm. as moms, we have to monitor and say, you know, have you studied? Have you done your homework? You need to give Mm -hmm. me your phone and all that. Mm -hmm. But if that's all we're giving them, then that's not really a relationship. It's a monologue. So one of the things I talk about is, is that just 20 minutes where you're like actually a person with your kid. Mm -hmm. And you're just hanging out and you see them as a human being. Now, I know you all have some different words, which are great. So can you talk about that? Yes. So you're, you're exactly right. There, there are seasons where we, we do know our kids may not love us through every season. They're not going to like our no, you know, they're, they want to hear yes. They always want to hear yes. They're not going to like our no. So there are going to be those things, but I love what you just said about spending intentional time. And that's one of the things we talk about, especially as we talk about the coaching years, which are those, you know, kind of 12 to 18 years old. Those are the years where we want to focus more on connection over correction with our kids. Those are the years that we want to be connected with our kids. When they hit something hard, we want to be the one they turn to, not friends or, you know, somebody outside who may not have the same advice that we would want them to hear. So we want to connect with our kids. And of course, we're still correcting here and there. It's, you know, when you're in the coaching years, you're actually coaching. And what a coach does is they stand on the sidelines a little bit more. They're kind of watching their kids put into practice the things that they trained them for during the training years. And you're still training here and there. Of course, there's some there's some spillover in all of the seasons of parenting, but we're stepping back. We're letting our kids experience some of the natural consequences of their actions. And we want them to turn to us. We want them to be so connected 
that they naturally, you know, come to us when they have an issue or hit a wall or have a problem. And I know there are parents out there who kind of roll their eyes at that de- at that idea because the reality <laughs> is, you know, there's ideal and then there's real. Ideal mm-hmm. is our kids turn to us when when there's an issue. Real is sometimes we're the last ones they want to turn to. But when things get really hard, if we are working toward connecting with our kids, like your idea of just being intentional about some time that you can grab just to be relational with your kids, when we're connecting with them, when things get really hard, we are going to be the ones that they turn to. One of the things I think about a lot as it relates to the relational aspect of parents and kids is Andy and I've been in small groups our whole our whole marriage with people in our season of life doing life together for connection for accountability for all of the things and anytime we're in a new group we take some time to share our stories and when people are sharing their stories so that we can all know each other better and they're talking about their childhood, they almost never talk about advice their friends gave them or words that their friends use that hurt them. They're rarely talking about other even adults in their life during those seasons whose words meant a lot to them or hurt them particularly. It's always about their parents. So regardless of whether we feel like they're looking to us, mm-hmm. they are. And our words make, a, you know, our words weigh a thousand pounds. We got a whole chapter in there about words, but our words weigh a thousand pounds with our kids. And all that to say, those intentional connection times, especially in the late training years and the coaching years, they're just so important in getting to the finish line with the kind of relationship that we want. So I love your idea of, you know, hey, find 20 minutes a day, you know, minimum to just relate to your kids' phones are put away, your phone is put away, and you're just having some conversations. That's That may be easier said than done, but it's certainly a worthy thing to work toward. Right. Yes. So I loved what you said about spend more time connecting than correcting. Mm-hmm. And when I was working on Dial Up the Dream, I asked my moms online, I said, for you who have kids that have already graduated, what is it that you would do differently, you know, when your kids were in high school? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they said, that yes. I would spend more time connecting than correcting. It was said in different ways. It was actually literally said that way, but it was said in many different ways like that. Yep. Well, the correcting feels more urgent, doesn't it? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It feels more urgent. And so we typically lean in the direction of what feels urgent. And often what's most important isn't necessarily what feels so urgent. So that's, that's a way to think about that and remember it. You know, when I think about the regrets that I have looking back, I am so naturally wired. I just value efficiency and productivity to your earlier point. Those are things that I really, in my fiber of how I was made, those are things that are important to me, efficiency, productivity. And so when I think about my regrets in parenting, it really kind of revolves largely around that times when I thought, okay, these are the things I got to get done. I'm going to get focused. I'm going to be efficient. And relationships are not efficient. You know, we can't relate to our children with efficiency in mind. That was something that just was a natural default for me that I had to work so hard on. And when they were little bitties, I didn't love to play because that did not feel efficient to me. <laughs> so I oh had my to gosh, work on I'm, that. I'm so the same. Oh, oh my gosh, goodness. like that pretend play. Ah. Yeah, I but, know, I know. <laughs> but it was, it was efficient and it was productive. It yes. just doesn't feel as much like, yes. it, like it was. Well, I think like you and every other mom out there, I think that is the huge setup for drama for moms mm. is that, We are like, okay, you know, especially like you had multiple children, like, okay, so if I get you doing this, I get you doing this and doing this, then I can get started here. And you've got it all mapped out in your head. And they're Mm -hmm. just like, nope. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) They just, they just stop that efficiency. And it's so... That's such a setup for drama for moms. It is. It's so frustrating (laughs) until we get our, you know, get our head in the right space. And then, and then we realize, okay, this is really the best use of my time. And really understanding why they sabotage that. Like Mm -hmm. I had a a mom talk about, I think her little 10 year old 
and their family wanted to be super efficient. And so that she was supposed to put up her lunch kit. So she just left her half-eaten peanut butter and jelly sandwich in it and just stuck it in there. It was just like her little, you want me (laughs) to be efficient? I'll put it away. (laughs) A little evil laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Explain why behavior modification is not a healthy basis for building lasting relationships with your kids. Oh, Colleen, I love this question. I love this question because if behavior modification or rule keeping becomes the basis for our parenting, there's probably something unhealthy going on. Behavior modification, rule keeping, all of that is important. And there is, you know, we're not throwing it out. But if it is the basis for our parenting, there's probably something else going on. Either we're parenting in the direction of our kids not embarrassing us, or we're parenting from a place of fear, you know, a fear for their future or a fear of them repeating our mistakes. Or maybe we just are parenting with behavior modification in an effort to be in control. You know, there can be lots of reasons for that. But regardless, it is not going to move us toward a healthy, lasting relationship with our children. One of the main reasons that parenting with the relationship in mind and disciplining with the relationship in mind Mm -hmm. is so important is because on the other side of any poor behavior of our kids, there's a person who gets hurt. On the other side of dishonesty is a person and a broken relationship. On the other side of disrespect is a person and a banged up relationship. On the other side of dishonor is a person and a relationship that takes a hit. So when we're parenting with the relationship in mind, we are helping our kids understand the importance of relationship restoration, relationship repair, and sometimes even restitution. And these are lifelong skills and perspectives that our kids need that will serve them their whole life. They are always going to be in relationships, relationships with us, relationships with each other, relationships with bosses or employees or their future marriages, their own children. Our children are going to always be in relationships. So parenting with the relationship in mind and helping them understand what that means. You know, honoring God, honoring each other, honoring the people around us is so important because life is relationships. And while we need to parent and modify behavior, it just can't be the basis for our parenting. It takes them somewhere that we don't want them to go. I I have a story about, I've got, we've got a couple of stories. One of them is when our kids were younger, Andy and I came in from a date And we had had a babysitter there and she was a regular babysitter for us. And we came in and we were like, okay, how, you know, how did the evening go? And she's like, well, I mean, it was fine. And we could tell it was not fine. And (laughs) she was not one of those babysitters that liked to rat the kids out. So we had to kind of pull the story out of her. And the bottom line was our boys had been really disrespectful, you know, kind of through the whole evening. So we paid her, she left. And the next morning I woke the boys up and I said, hey, and they were just old enough to to appreciate money. They were just getting old enough. They still had to have a babysitter, but you know, money was a thing to them. So I said, hey guys, I need you to get your wallets and I need you to meet me downstairs at the kitchen table. So they're kind of, you know, their eyes get kind of big and they (laughs) they come downstairs. And I said, I've got some note cards out here and you're going to write some apology notes to Julie. And then I need you to meet me in the car. We've got something else we need to do. And so they're writing their apology letters. You know, it's real quiet. (laughs) They're not saying anything. (laughs) They knew they were in trouble. And so they write their apology notes. And I said, okay, grab your wallets, meet me in the van. So I load Allie into the van. The boys come, they they get in. And I said, now we're going to Publix and you're going to buy Julie some flowers. That's what we're doing next. And they're like, oh, mom, with our own money. I'm like, "Mm, yeah, (laughs) with your own money. So we get to Publix and they buy some flowers, get back in the van. And I said, now we're going to Julie's office and you are going to give her your note. You're going to walk all the way into her office, to her desk. You're going to give her your note and the flowers, and you're going to look her in the eye and you're going to apologize to Julie for being disrespectful. And they were like, oh, mom, please just, you know, take all of our money, you know, take our bikes, you know, <laughs> please just don't make it. And when we are restoring a relationship, there's always a level of humility required. And that was not feeling comfortable to them. So we get to her office, they march in, they go to her desk, you know, all her coworkers are kind of all sitting around sort of watching. They hand her her flowers, her note, they give her a hug, they look her in the eye and they said, Julie, they took their turn one at a time. I am so sorry. I was so disrespectful to you. I hope you can forgive me. 
And Julie was fine. Julie was fine before she even left our house. But this really was not for Julie. This was for our kids to begin to understand that on the other side of disrespect, there's a person. And for the rest of your life, on the other side of disrespect, dishonesty, disobedience, when they're children, on the other side of dishonoring, there's a person. And we wanted our kids, because we were parenting with the relationship in mind, we wanted our kids to understand relationship restoration, relationship repair, and in some cases, restitution. So this was a lesson that when Julie came the next time to babysit, it was over. We didn't discipline them any further. We didn't feel like that was necessary. When Julie came, they had already restored that relationship. So there was no weirdness or awkwardness. It was just, hey, you know, what are we going to play? So that's what a restored relationship looks like. And it was really important to us for our kids to understand that early and to be able to, especially as adults, I mean, how many adults do we meet that have still long-term broken relationships that could be repaired and, and should be repaired, but they just don't know how to do it. So parenting with the relationship in mind it's just so important over behavior modification. We could have taken away their games and taken away whatever from them. They never would have learned the lesson of restoration if we had just behavior modified in that situation. That's so true. And I think a lot of times, which I love that you talked about, what is the point of discipline? Because I think a lot of times parents don't know what to do with their middle school or high school kids. So they just take away the phone. Mm-hmm. Round them from right. the car. Yeah. Round them from going out. It, they punish. They punish. They don't right. teach them discipline and, and restoration. And there's a time for that. You know, we, one of the things during those coaching years we talk about is they're tying a discipline to the actual offense is just so much more productive in our kids learning things. So just taking away their phone or taking away the car keys or whatever, if it didn't have to do with a phone or a car, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that's just a punishment. If I could tell one more story, this might be more helpful for the listeners in the season of life that most of your moms are. And I laugh and I call this Andy's finest parenting moment. I was hoping you would tell that story. That is such an awesome story. And it is, it's actually the same thing. It's the teenage version of the same thing. So we had a situation where one of our boys, Andy did not allow our boys to be disrespectful to me. They could be disrespectful to him. He wanted to have hard conversations with them, our boys particularly, but they were not allowed to ever raise their voice with me or be disrespectful. Not that it didn't happen in the story I'm about to tell will we'll prove that. But <laughs> so we had a scenario where one of our boys was super disrespectful. And, you know, when Andy heard about the story, it took him a while to kind of think through what does relationship restoration look like in this? I mean, I could take his truck keys, you know, we could, you know, make him stay home for the next two weekends, which actually punishes the whole family, you know. <laughs> yes, it <laughs> so, would. Yes. Yeah. He said, you know, there are plenty of punishments we could have chosen, but he eventually circled back with with our son. And he said, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask your mom out on a date. I want you to take her to a nice restaurant, buy her dinner and make your relationship right. Apologize, ask forgiveness, you know, all the things. He would have so preferred to just have his keys taken, you know, same, same as that earlier situation, he would have preferred it. Just let this, please just make this go away. Um, but so he did, he came, he came downstairs and he said, Hey mom, would you be available to go to dinner with me tonight? And I said, absolutely. I would. And so we get in his truck, he takes me to macaroni grill and we sit down we got our bread, we're dipping our bread in olive oil, you know, just kind of chatting. And he looked at me and he said, mom, I am so sorry that I was so disrespectful to you. And he kind of, you know, went into detail about what he did and, you know, kind of just talked about not, not excusing his behavior, but apologizing for the, you know, for what he did and what he said. He said, I am so sorry. You do not deserve that mom. And he just went into this thing about you're the, you know, the great mom that you are. You just, you didn't deserve that. And even if you did, it was out of order. I'm so, so sorry. And I hope that you can forgive me. And I said, no, I'm still mad. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I didn't say that. I'm, mel- I'm melting into a puddle on the floor of Macaroni Grill. I can remember, I have a snapshot. I can remember his shirt. I can remember the moment. I could walk into that restaurant now and tell you what booth we were sitting in. It was the sweetest, most life-giving, restorative conversation maybe I've ever had in my life. And I can just remember it. And so I said, Garrett, of course I forgive you. And and then we just, you know, we just moved right on. Our relationship was restored. We just moved right on to whatever was next and it was over. And that's really one of the beauties of restoration. The issue is over. It's not awkward anymore. You know, if it's a a friend, you, you don't have to fear running into them in a grocery store, you know, or whatever. You've repaired the relationship. And that relationship was repaired. And it's a situation, kind of a scenario he will never forget. And he's married now. He's been married five years. And his wife, Danielle, was reading through the manuscript. And she said, oh, she said, this is why he's so good at that. (laughs) So, you know, that was another little win. We really are parenting our kids so that they can have healthy relationships in the future. And so that was a big win, not just the restoration of mining my relationship with him, but Mm -hmm. the investment that that was in his future marriage. So, but that's relationship, that's parenting with the relationship in mind. And it's why it's so much better than behavior modification parenting. That's so good. And I know another thing you talk about with that is to be creative, and it and does take more time. It does it's take harder more time. to parent this way. It really is. And so that's why I like to tell the moms that like in the moment of the disrespect or in the moment where you've just found out that they lied to you, it's not the moment you're going to be creative. No, no. <laughs> you're usually mad and whatever comes out is not going to be ideal. Right. <laughs> so you need to take a little bit of time. So I'm, I'm going to tell share a story that as you were talking, I just remembered it. I think... My daughter was in middle school and she had been rude to me and I can't remember what it was. So I just told her, I said, that's not okay. And that was disrespectful. And so I want you to find a way of making it up to me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was very open-ended. And so I put it on her. It was the cutest thing. She created a scavenger hunt Mm -hmm. and left clues for me. (laughs) She and Allie have so much in common. (laughs) (laughs) Ellie's never met a scavenger hunt she didn't love. (laughs) And so every place that I went for the scavenger hunt, she told me something that she appreciated about me. Oh, how sweet. Yes. And the last one that was so cute was I had a little schnauzer and she put a little note in the schnauzer's collar, pushed the schnauzer into my room. Uh And that was the last note. And it was just this beautiful little letter she wrote to me. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I love that you left it open-ended for her to kind of fill in that space because that really is real life. You know, we nobody's going to prescribe what it is that we need to do in real life as adults. So you do have to think and be creative. But to your point, this is a harder pathway of parenting because it burns more mental calories. It's harder to figure it out. But I think when we're prayerful about it, when we are thoughtful about it, when we give it a little bit of time, I just think the right thing to do does come to us. Now, this is different for children in the discipline stage. You know, in those early, that early stage, zero to five years old, it is so important for discipline to come immediately and to be consistent. As we get into those training years, we can begin to help our kids understand, you know, just like the story with our boys, you know, begin to understand relationship restoration, certainly in the coaching years. And I love your idea of leaving it open-ended for them to figure out, especially as they start to get a little bit older. Yes, um, yes. Yes, I love that. You share how disciplining choices should be carefully evaluated for the later relationship because later is a lot longer. I love that expression. So can you explain what that means? Yes. So the day is going to come when we are no longer responsible for disciplining our children. They're going to be grown and gone. And the grown and gone season not only is later, but more likely than not, is going to last a lot longer. So in the midst of the heavy-duty parenting years, it felt like 
this is my life. When they were little, wiping noses, wiping bottoms, driving everybody everywhere, thinking about five different people's calendars and all the meals and all the things. You know, if you drop into any season of life, it just feels like your life. But it was actually just a small portion on the timeline of my life. And so my point in all of that is that the nature of your later and longer adult relationship with your children will depend largely on whether or not you discipline them now with the relationship in mind. So if you think about if you discipline with behavior modification in mind, you might in fact raise kids who behave around you, but then they choose not to be around you when they're old enough to choose. And those years of them being old enough to choose are a lot longer than the years that they're in our home. Nobody looks forward to dinner with a hall monitor, not to mention the fashion monitor, the grades monitor, the hairstyle monitor, you know. So just remember in these years of parenting, later is longer and discipline with later in mind. Yeah, no, that is so true. Really true. So what's the importance of saying, oh no, instead of no? <laughs> this is in those coaching years, you know, when when our or even in the training years somewhat. We talk in the book about we how we only had two rules and they were kind of keystone rules for us. From those rules, you know, some other things kind of filter down. Because we didn't have established, hey, if you do A, the consequence is going to be B. If you do B, you know, the consequence is going to be C. We didn't have all of that laid out. We wanted to have a response when our kids stepped far out of bounds and it needed to be addressed. We wanted to have the, oh, no. We didn't see this coming. We didn't expect this to happen. So we're going to need a little bit of time. And it goes back to that whole idea of not parenting with behavior modification. If we say, oh, no, gosh, I didn't see this coming. I'm going to need a little bit of time to figure out how we're going to take care of this situation or how we're going to restore that relationship. It's just a better segue into that whole idea of restoration parenting, you know, restoring relationships, restitution, all of those things. Because really, we've got doing youth ministry. We talked earlier about you did 10 years of youth ministry, and we did as well. We saw so many parents who just went to that quick default of, all right, if you come in 10 minutes late after curfew, then for the next two weekends, you're not going to be able to go out, you know, or whatever it is. Those are those quick, we have a formula for when you do this and you do that. When we don't have a formula in place for our children's misbehavior, we are letting them know we're not expecting you to misbehave. So, oh no, gosh, I didn't see that coming. I'm going to have to, you know, step back and take a minute and then we'll figure out what to do about it. And when the time comes, and you know this calling too, because in real life, when adults break the law or when adults have a situation where they get a speeding ticket or, or anything breaking the law, you may not go to court. You may not have a punishment for months down the road. In adult, in real life, it just doesn't happen quickly necessarily. So that's another way of just kind of preparing our kids for real life. There may be a gap of time between your offense and knowing what the outcome is going to be. So that whole, oh no, kind of tells them, gosh, I believe in you. I believe in you so much. I didn't even think ahead of time about what Mm -hmm. the consequence was going to be. And I think that's an important thing for them to see. Yeah. And I think what y'all talked about, and I completely agree, is it really shows that you're on their side. Because I think a lot of times discipline looks like my parents hate me and they just want to ruin my life because, and neurologically, their brains are wired to be black and white. So it's Mm -hmm. easy for them to say, well, you just hate me. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, oh no, is like, I care about you. I'm on your side. And oh no, you made that decision. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. Right. That's And I think that's such a good, good, good point. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you're not expecting them to fail. Exactly. That's really good. That's so important for them. I think it's important for even just their, you know, their expectations of themselves. Yes. So what three dynamics affect how your kids hear what you say? And why should we stop to consider the weight of our words? You mentioned that earlier today. Mm -hmm. Goodness, words are so important. The three dynamics we talk about in the book is number one, words are not equally weighted. There have been all kinds of studies done. There's one Harvard Business Review study that was done that established sort of a ratio of positive to negative words. I think his name was Gottman. I can't remember exactly. They He had done this big study on the ratio of positive words to negative words and what ratio is ideal for relational health. And he was doing it for workplace teams, for 
employees and employers and all of that kind of stuff. And in that study, the conclusion was five positive words to every one negative word. And so soon after this study came out, some people did it, you know, took that same study and applied it to marriages and then applied it to to healthy environments to raise children in. And at the very minimum, it was always five to one. So our words are not equally weighted. The other thing we talk about in this chapter is that parents' words weigh a thousand pounds. Mm -hmm. So the source determines the weight. I have a story about my dad when Andrew was a baby, he was, again, the first grandchild. And so, you know, everything was fabulous because, you know, it's his first grandchild, can do no wrong. He's sitting in his high chair. My dad had come to Atlanta from middle Georgia. My dad had come to Atlanta to a meeting he had. And so he had spent the night with us and he got up the next morning, came downstairs, got his coffee. And he's talking to me while I'm feeding Andrew. And I'm just, you know, it's just a little bowl of mush. There was nothing, you know, it's just like you feed your children who are just beginning to eat real solid food. So I'm shoveling, you know, this food into Andrew's mouth and we're just chatting. And my dad, who is this lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps, just not a man of a lot of words, certainly not flowery words. He just looked at me. He said, Sandra, you're a really good mom. And, you know, that's just one little short sentence that anybody looking in would have thought nothing about, but his words weigh a thousand pounds to me. They did when I was little and they still do now. And there was, I remember everything about that moment because that was so, it was just so life-giving to me, those words from my dad. And they were just simple words. There wasn't anything outstanding. I wasn't doing anything great, really. He just said to me, you are a great mom. And his words weigh a thousand pounds. So words aren't equally weighted, positive to negative. Source determines weight. And then our intent is irrelevant. When we use our words and we hurt somebody's feelings, the way our words land with them is the way they land. We don't get to dictate you know, what we meant. That our intent is irrelevant. How somebody receives them is how they receive it. And that's so important. All three of those things are so important for us to remember as it relates to our parenting. Our kids need positive words way more than negative ones. We need to remember how important our words are. I talked about small groups and people sharing their stories. It's always about their parents' words to them that made the biggest impact, positive or negative. And then our intent is irrelevant. If I run over your foot with my car, even if I didn't mean to, your foot is still broken. And so we, you know, we have to make some space for and figure out relational restitution and restoration when our words hurt someone, even if it wasn't our intent that I think are important. That is such a good point in terms of how they land. So can you give me an example of what that looks like and what it does not look like? Because I really want the moms to hear that because it's so yeah, important. Yeah. So intent is irrelevant. You know, let's just think about parenting daughters for just a minute because you and I both have done that. As a mom, our words to our daughters, again, you know, they weigh a thousand pounds. So if our daughter comes down and we know when something doesn't look flattering on someone else, and there is always an approach, an appropriate time, you know, to say things that we need to say. But when we just blurt out, wow, that that's not flattering. Or what is that that you're wearing? I mean, you know, just any kind of thing that we might say to our kids, we have to remember that our words weigh a thousand pounds. And even if we didn't mean it to sound like I really hate your outfit and you look terrible in it, that's sometimes how our dramatic girls are receiving our words. So it doesn't matter that we just intended, you know, something much lighter, they're going to receive it the way they receive it. So we have to be so thoughtful about our words and realize, you know, our intent is irrelevant. It's going to be received the way it's, you know, the way it's going to be received. Let me pause there is what that would look like is that a mom would, if she wasn't mindful of that, could say, I didn't say that. You didn't listen to me. Mm-hmm. You did That's not the, what I said. Mm-hmm. And you could get defensive with that, which right. in terms of the relationship in mind, that daughter is hurt. And so wall's gone up. But if that's right, if your daughter said, well, you just said that I look awful and I am hideous looking and you know that you didn't say those exact words, what would you say? Mm-hmm. I think in that situation, I if I were not getting drawn into an argument, I think I would say, oh, my goodness, I can see how you might have interpreted my words that way. And I am so sorry. 
One of the things that we talk about a lot too is how do we apologize? So when we do say things that hurt our kids or hurt our daughters or that we didn't intend, or even if we did intend to be hurtful, you know, circling back and apologizing is so important. One of the things that we did not allow with our kids was for them to just look at each other and say, sorry, we, yeah. you know, we, we tell them sorry is not a sentence. So, <laughs> you know, we say to them, Hey, here's how you apologize. And this is, it applies to us too. And especially in a situation like this with our words, I am so sorry. And we name what we did. And then we say, I hope you can forgive me. We never let our kids say, will you forgive me? Because we don't get to dictate how long it takes for someone to be ready to actually forgive. So when you say, will you forgive me? We're putting them on the spot and they feel badly if they say, no, I'm not ready. I mean, that feels terrible. So we say, I hope you can forgive me rather than would you please forgive me? So that's what I would do. I would circle back when my words hurt any of my kids or a friend or anybody else and say, I am so sorry. I can see how the way that I said that came across the way that you took it. And I am so sorry. I hope you can forgive me and just leave it at that. That is so important because we as moms are modeling to our daughters or sons how to apologize. We can teach them, but if we don't do that ourselves, then that doesn't feel really credible. And what I like to tell the moms is like, when you're still angry, it's all the teen's fault. Mm -hmm. But what I would say, okay, well, at least start with like, what's 1% your responsibility? What's Mm -hmm. 1% that you could take ownership of? And then own that. (laughs) If I had never birthed you, this wouldn't have happened. (laughs) That's not what we're talking about. That's not the 1% we're talking about. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I could talk to you forever, but we are running out of time. Do you have any last advice for the moms listening Mm. or encouragement? You know what I would say, Colleen, to all these sweet moms who so badly want to get it right, I would just remind them there are no perfect, there is one perfect parent and we are not him, you know, (laughs) so just know we are not going to get this right. You're not going to always get this right. There is so much grace in our parenting. Our children are resilient. There's grace for us and there's grace for the hard seasons. There are going to be seasons that are harder for us than others. And again, variables that have nothing to do with us will impact some of those hard seasons. And in those seasons, just remember loving your kids and parenting toward the relationship is your best default. Always thinking about what is going to be the best thing relationally in this situation. And it may be not saying anything at all. It may be saying, you know what? Hop in the car, let's go get a Starbucks and drive around and just listen to some music. You know, whatever, being a student of our children is so important. So the last thing I would say is just know you're not always going to get it right and it is okay. Great advice and so true. Well, Sandra, this has been a real pleasure and I love your book. And so it is, again, the title is Parenting, Get It Right. right. Get It, which has... The theme of the book. Italics, yeah, getting it right. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you, Colleen. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh, this has been awesome. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dow Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com. And that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.